Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Pastor Jonathan giving me the opportunity to uh, preach here. We're praying for uh, Ella and um, uh, his family. Uh, and uh, praise God that Charles is standing in and with AJ and, and all of you guys are just uh, here supporting one another. Um, before I get started, Debbie and I want to thank you for your love, your affection. My wife, Debbie, is right there. Uh, your prayers, your, your comfort, I mean, your text messages, your emails, your gifts, your transportation, your visits with Sophia, your reports on how your visit was. And uh, some of you, some of you have been helping us to navigate all the legal and the medical challenges and have not only made suggestions, but you volunteered to serve. I uh, just uh, remember that time when we came up and we had to move Sophia out of her apartment, and you guys just came and surrounded us, and just, I was like sitting in a truck, you know, to keep it from being towed away. <laughs> but you guys were up there just packing up and cleaning and all of that, and with joy and, and um, making the best of a, just a very... Um, devastating situation. So we appreciate your ministry, um, and we praise God for the body of Christ, both in New York and in Maryland, who have uh, helped us in our trial, who have ministered to Sophia and her boys in so many ways. And um, you guys are, you're obviously Sophia's church family, but... Um, you're the body of Christ, and we're a member of the body of Christ, although we're in different states. We still just sense the Lord's um, benediction as we come here. We, we preached that um, this morning at uh, United Trinity Baptist Church. Um, Pastor Brian is there, and uh, they just received us so warmly. And, uh, and then we just had lunch with uh, Brian and Grace. And so if I'm a little sluggish in my preaching, it's because I had a big two-pound steak. And uh, at what, what's the name of that place? Fillmore's. Phil, Fillmore's. Yeah, so it's, I hope I don't fall asleep standing up here. So y'all pray for my strength. Yeah, amen. So, uh, but you guys have followed the exhortation of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, uh, chapter 12, verse 15, where he writes, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And you have certainly done that uh, for us. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you have comforted us in our affliction with the comfort with which you yourselves are comforted by God. And so we thank you for that. And uh, although, you know, we're suffering through this and we're feeling some pain, but we know that you guys are too. You guys are hurting too. And even though it's been a year, it just, we're constantly reminded of things. And, um, but we just, before I get started, just on behalf of my wife, Debbie, and myself and our, our family, uh, we just want to thank you so much for your ministry to us. Well, if you have a copy of Scripture, either a physical copy of it or maybe a, a virtual or a digital copy of it on your phone, if you could turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, it's the fourth in a series of six hymns called the Halal or the Praise God Psalms in which some commentators uh, say that Israel came to recite during their celebration of the Passover as they commemorated their exodus from Egypt. And some attribute this psalm to King Hezekiah, 
written on the occasion of his deliverance from sickness and death as chronicled in Isaiah chapter 38. And still some uh, others say it has nothing to do with the individual's plight and praise, but the experience of the entire nation of Israel in their Babylonian captivity. And we talked a little bit about that this morning at Pastor Brian's church. And most commentators just today ascribe Psalm 116 to King David. And if David was the author, it's not certain whether he penned these for a particular occasion or just as a reflection upon the many times that God delivered him, King David, from trouble over the course of his life. And if you look at verses 1 through 4 of this psalm, the psalmist reflects on a time when Yahweh helped him, a time when God heard his cry for help and delivered him from danger. Look at verse 1. It says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord, and that's Yahweh. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. And then look at verses 5 through 11. These verses show the response of one who has been greatly delivered. And in these verses, the psalmist proclaims the goodness of God connected with the deliverance of his servant. And, and, and the psalmist says things like, gracious is the Lord, and our Lord is compassionate. We, we find things in this, this section of Psalm 116. The, the Lord preserves the simple. Or you rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. So no wonder he loves the Lord. He says that in verse 1. He's indebted to the Lord who's demonstrated unceasing faithfulness. And so the writer, well, I think it's David, he says in verse 2, Therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. And so in verses 12 through 19, we find the, the heartfelt commitment of a man who's grateful for his deliverance. In verse 13, he writes, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 14, he says, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. And in verse 16, he declares, the Lord, O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. And in verse 17, he says, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And so this psalm, I, I call it a big thank you, Lord. It's expressed and arranged in 19 verses. But for this message, I'm just going to be focusing on verses 12 through 14. And, and verse 12 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Why don't you pray with me as I ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand before your people here at New Hope. I thank you, Father. These, these folk are so precious to me, to Deb, to our family. Lord, they have been family away from home for us and have lightened the load that we've been trying to lift in caring for Sophia and for her boys. We thank you and we praise you for them. And now I pray, Father, that you would just help us to understand and apply 
this section of scripture. And may it all be done to your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Warren Wearsby writes in his commentary that Psalm 116 is very personal. It's with the words I and my and, and, and me. It's used over 30 times. Look at verse 1. It says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And so suffering is personal, isn't it? And let me tell you, I come from Baltimore. And I come from the black church experience. So I'm, I'm kind of used to some feedback. So it's okay to, to say amen and, and, and you know, uh, preach, brother. You could, like, wave your hand, preach, brother, you know, or something like that. And, and so, so sometimes I might call out something. And, and this is not for form or fashion. It's just who I am. And so it's okay to answer back, okay? All right, you can take your jacket off, just loosen up a little bit and just, you know. And so suffering is personal, Amen. All right. The National Institutes of Health, their website tells us that suffering can cause exhaustion, confusion, sadness, anxiety, agitation, numbness, disassociation, and confusion. And suffering can also affect one's beliefs about the future by way of a loss of hope, limited expectations about life, fear that life will end abruptly or early, or anticipation that normal life events won't occur. And there are even some delayed responses to suffering that can include persistent fatigue, sleep orders, nightmares, fear of recurrence, anxiety focused on flashbacks, depression, and avoidance of emotions, sensations, or activities that are associated with trauma, even remotely. So suffering is personal. Amen? It's personal. On Christmas morning of 2022, before Debbie and I opened any gifts, we read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. We, we share our happy birthday Jesus letters. And we've been doing that. We'll, we'll be celebrating our 43rd anniversary coming up in a couple weeks. And so, praise God. And, and so we've been doing this a long time. When our kids were children, we at home. First thing we would do, we would read from Luke chapter 2 and would uh, share a happy birthday Jesus' letters, each one of the kids, and he, including Deb and ourselves, we were right. And uh, Christmas of 2022, in both of our letters, Debbie and I acknowledge our thankfulness for God delivering um, our son, Casey. Um, is married to our next to youngest daughter, uh, Shannon. Uh, in the, the fall of, of 22, um, he found he, his vision just started disappearing. And he's only, I don't know, 29, 30 years old. And he was going blind, and they found out he had a brain tumor. And we were just like, wow. And uh, we almost lost him. They did the surgery, and then it just, you know. But God miraculously delivered him. And in our letters that year, 2022, we were just sharing in our letters how grateful we were for restoring Casey's sight. And the following Monday evening, December 26, we had our children, we had our grandchildren over. We celebrated Christmas again. We shared a big Christmas meal. We exchanged gifts. We played games like gestures and 
The following Tuesday morning, December 27th, I was up early. I, was, uh, I have a friend that we were texting back and forth, doing puns and memes and everything, and it was like 7.30 in the morning, and I get this call from a New York number that I didn't recognize. And I ignored it, and the person continued to call, and finally I answered my phone. And the woman on the other end identified herself as a New York City police officer, and she told me that my daughter Sophia had been struck by a car. And I asked, how's she doing? And then the officer was, was weeping and told me, it's really bad. It's, there's lots of blood. And this was a police officer, a female. And by that time, I began to cry. But I managed to, to ask, has anyone called her husband? To which the officer responded, it was her husband who struck her with his car. And you need to come and get your grandchildren. I'll text you the location. And I said, okay. And I ended the call and I went to my bedroom and I awakened Debbie, who already knew that something was very wrong. And I, I was crying and I began to give her the disturbing news. And she stood up and she was trying to waken herself. And I told her she needed to sit down. And I shared with her what the police officer had told me that happened to Sophia. And then I called my pastor. And my pastor, George, and his wife, Jennifer, quickly drove over. And then within 15 minutes, we had prayed together. And within 15 minutes of them coming over, me and I had just grabbed some stuff and jumped into my car. George drove, and we made the trip to Queens. And we were told to report to the Flushing Police Station where my grandsons were being watched and cared for by a team of detectives. And afterwards, Pastor George and I drove to Queens Presbyterian where we were directed to ICU. And by this time, it was about five to six hours after the incident. And at the hospital, George and I went to Sophia's room, and they were still working on her. And I couldn't bring myself to see her at this point, so George, Pastor George, was able to look in her room while I waited in a conference room across the hall. And when he returned, he just slumped down into his chair and began crying. My pastor began to cry. And he says, it's bad, Chuck. It's very bad. And sometime after this, I peeked into Sophia's room, and I saw her on the bed, hooked to all kinds of equipment. But her eyes were wide open in a blank stare. Her mouth was open, and my daughter appeared as if she was dead. And later, the surgeons and the neurologists met with me and my pastor and told us that there was little brain activity and that I should consider at this time what kind of quality of life that Sophia would want to live and then make the decision accordingly. Well, in Psalm 116, verse 3, the psalmist is pressing a rewind button, and he's reminiscing about what was going on in his life that prompted him to call on the Lord. And look at verse 3, Psalm 116. In verse 3, he writes, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. And oftentimes, we don't have a clue of what the Lord is doing behind the scenes in our lives until we press the rewind button, the, the replay button, and we look back as if what the, the psalmist is doing in, in this psalm. And so just a day or so after Sophia was injured, I hit the rewind button, and I reminisced upon God's work in Sophia's life. And I remember God's miraculous deliverance of Sophia at birth. Don't know if you knew this, but she was born weighing only two pounds, two and a half ounces. 
back in the 1980s. This is before they had all the technology that they do today. And I remember right after she was born, uh, we were in, in the delivery room, and then the doctors were saying, we're losing her, we're losing her. And my wife and I, we just started praying, started praying. And then the doctor says, we're getting her heartbeat back. It's, 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 it's getting stronger, it's getting stronger, right as we were praying. So I was reminiscing on that. And I remember God calling Sophia to trust Jesus as her Savior and King at an early age. And I remember God putting a desire in her heart to leave our homeschool. We homeschooled our kids. It took us 30 years to get all the kids through. <laughs> Sophia was like the first, like the guinea pig, you know. <laughs> and, um, and she went all the way through the 11th, uh, the 10th grade, I think it was. And then she was writing us and pleading with us. She says, I believe God wants me to go to mainstream into public school so I can start a Bible club. And so we finally relented. We finally let her. And that's exactly what she did. And that Bible club went on in that high school like several years after she had graduated. I reminisced about that. I remember God calling her to do missions in China and Ecuador. And I remember him putting in Sophia's heart a desire to assist with a new church plant in Queens. Y'all know which church I'm talking about, right? And I remember how in the past couple of years, God was using her to encourage women who suffered abuse. And now here we are on December 27, 2022. My daughter is in a coma, and I was being told that she might die. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of shield came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, save my daughter's life. And the psalmist continues, look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low. He saved me. Return to your rest, O my Lord, for, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. My son Mike and I were in New York the following week uh, of the attack, and we needed to get into Sophia's apartment to make sure everything was okay. And I also had to get a cop, a co- copies of her bills to make sure that they were being paid. And while there, I found, well, it was just a few days or a week by then after Christmas, and I found Sophia's happy birthday Jesus letter. I said, wow, she's still writing happy birthday Jesus letters. And on December 25th, two days before the incident, I discovered that Sophia had pressed the rewind button of her year. And here are a couple sentences from her letter to Jesus. She says, my safety and sanity is found in you alone. And she had the word you capitalized. You are my peace. She had the word peace capitalized. And I'm still learning to lean back and relax into that. She, she wrote, I can rest in your character in the middle of all my hurt and pain. Two days before the incident. And in Psalm 116, the psalmist looks over his life and he sees the Lord working and rescuing and delivering and providing. So he asks himself the question in verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And in essence, he, he's saying in view of the mercy of God, especially in light of his love manifested in my life, what can be an adequate return for a love like that, for mercy so great? So for grace so undeserved. 
But an important question we need to ask ourselves is, what can we give to God that he doesn't already own? Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And in Psalm 50, God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. And if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. So what could we offer to him that would meet the infinite worth of his character and his blessings? Let me tell you about his benefits. His benefits are incomprehensible. Psalm 8 says, when I consider the, the, the heavens, the, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? His benefits are incomprehensible. And they're also impeccable. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is where? From above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation nor shadow of turning. His benefits are inexhaustible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you are always having all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. His benefits are inexhaustible. And his benefits are inestimable. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so the benefits of God, of God are incomprehensible, they're impeccable, they're inexhaustible, they're inestimable. So what can we render to God for all that he's done for us? In other words, how can we properly and appropriately say thank you to God for all he has done? And so the psalmist provides us with two answers to that question in Psalm 116. Look at verses 13 and 14. And I'll just summarize them for you. We can worship the Lord and we can serve the Lord. We're going to look at both of those. We can praise and worship the Lord. Look at verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And while it's somewhat unclear what the psalmist is referring to in the first part of verse 13, most commentators believe that the cup of salvation refers to the Jewish drink offering, which accompanied the Thanksgiving offering that was given as an act of worship. We find that in Leviticus chapter 7 and Numbers 15 and Matthew 26. Others have contrasted the cup of salvation with the cup of wrath that represented God's judgment of sin and his wrath reserved for the wicked to drink. The cup of wrath is associated with Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, and it was this cup of God's wrath that he drank so that those who believe on him might be saved from the punishment of sin. But the cup of salvation symbolizes all the blessings, not the wrath, but all the blessings that come with God's forgiveness bestowed on the believer. And so the psalmist writes, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And in verse 17, the psalmist writes, To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And so the sacrifice of thanksgiving or the thank offering falls into the category of the Levitical peace offerings. And it was offered to, as a show of um, gratitude for when God saves someone from distress, when God saves someone from death, when God saves someone from sickness. 
In Psalm chapter 50, verse 23, God says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving um, honors me. And so when the psalmist refers to offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving, it could also be that he's not referring to an actual sacrifice at all, but a simple expression of thanksgiving. And that's why Hosea writes in chapter 14 of his book, he speaks of this offering to God, the fruit of our lips. The writer of Hebrews probably had this in mind as he wrote in chapter 13, verse 15, through him, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And so back in Psalm 116, you don't mind that I teach a little bit, do you? Okay. So back in Psalm 116, verses 13 and 17, the writer is referring to his acts of worship. In other words, the psalm is saying, all I can do is offer the Lord worship for his benefits. It's worship. And so worship is the appropriate response from one who has been a beneficiary of the Lord's benefits. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had this in mind after he pens the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And I don't know if you know or are familiar with Paul's structure when he writes his epistles. In Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul lists the mercies of God. And so the mercies of God are the doctrines of salvation, the the cross of Christ, our our deliverance from sin and death, the the resurrection of Christ. Paul is referring in, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, our justification, our redemption, our sanctification. And so as Paul contemplates these mercies of God, he erupts with praise in verse 33. I don't know if you can turn there fast, but, but Romans 11, verse 33. And so Paul, he contemplates, he just wrote uh, 11 chapters of God's mercies, his, the doctrine of salvation, justification, redemption, sanctification. And then he contemplates all that God has done to secure our salvation. And in verse 33 of chapter 11, he, he erupts with these words, all the depths both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? It is all inscrutable. It is all undeserved. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And what produces genuine worship is our grasp of these wonderful doctrinal truths of Scripture. So Paul begins chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, saying, Therefore, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you look and see what it's there for, right? And so he says, therefore, he's pointed back to what he's just written in the first 11 chapters. He says, therefore. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the doctrines of the faith of chapters 1 through 11, I urge you, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. And so Paul goes on to write Romans chapters 12 and 13, 14, and 15, all practical exhortations and applications based upon the doctrines that he just introduced. And then in the last chapter, Romans chapter 16, he closes his letter with these words. (laughs) 
Think about our salvation. Think about how we were dead in trespasses and sins, and God had to make us alive together in Christ. Think about how we were saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. A free gift of God given to us, not of works us. Anyone should boast. Think about those doctrinal teachings that Paul introduced. He teaches in the first chapter of uh, 11 chapters of Romans, and then he gets to, to, to the end of, uh, of chapter 16. He closes his letter with these words. And I know you've heard it before. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which had been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifest and by the scripture of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all nations leading to the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be glory forever. Amen. That's worship. That's worship. Another example is found in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. Again, this is Paul's structure. He lays out doctrine. First three chapters of Ephesians, then chapters 4 through 6, he he gives our, 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 our duty, our practice. It's doctrine, duty, position, practice. And so Paul, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he elaborates on the spiritual blessings that God has lavished uh, believers um, and, and so the first three chapters of Ephesians are a doctrinal smorgasbord. And then at the end of chapter 3, he writes this. Again, think about how God purchased our salvation. Look at just chapter 2 alone. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we were saved. This, uh, chapter 1, we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We've been given an inheritance, and he, he talks about all of that. And then at the end of chapter 3, he writes this. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. He does it again. Worship. So What shall we render unto God for all his benefits toward us? The answer is what? Worship. Worship. And so worship is motivated by a knowledge of what God has done for the believer. That's why it's so important that you study your Bibles. You learn the word of God because you should be breaking those doors down here on on the Lord's day to gather for the believers to worship God. But you laid a foundation for that with your study and your meditation of Scripture throughout the week. Worship always comes in response to a contemplation of the spiritual truths concerning your spiritual benefits and blessings afforded to believers in salvation. Still another example of this is found in 1 Timothy, where Paul writes to a young Timothy to encourage him in the pastoral ministry. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul begins by sharing his salvation testimony. He says in verse 13 of 1 Timothy 1, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Paul is given his testimony. He says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. <laughs> he said, yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. 
And just at the mention of this wonderful truth concerning God's mercy, Paul, he does it again. He launches into this worship in verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He does it again. Worship. And it comes from a heart overwhelmed by the benefits of God lavished upon the believer. And in Psalm 116, the psalmist writes in verses 1 through 11 that God heard his voice and his pleas for mercy and was gracious and compassionate. And God delivered him from the attacks of his enemies, even people that were close to him, attacks that would have surely resulted in death. God kept his soul from death. God preserved him spiritually and eternally. God dried his tears, resulting from accusations and attacks and betrayals. He says God kept his feet from stumbling. And so in this short psalm, we see some of the attributes. We see some of the perfections of God on display. We see that God is gracious. We see that God is righteous. We see that God is merciful. We see his goodness, his omnipotence, his eternality. And then the psalmist asked himself the question, what shall I render unto God for all his benefits? And the answer to the question is, I will worship. He said, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. To you, I shall offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. And so many people have asked Debbie and I how we've been able to make it through this trial. We've worshipped. We've worshipped. We see from Scripture When it says it's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, it really is. He is our sovereign God and king. The scripture tells us that. Everything he does is right. His ways are perfect. And none of this has taken God by surprise. And our daughter, Sophia, is a follower of Jesus Christ and has a testimony of being saved by his grace through faith in Christ. And we're grateful to God for saving her. And we have a biblical perspective on life. You want to know what's been getting us through this? We have a biblical perspective on life. This life is like a vapor. James says in the New Testament, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Scripture also teaches that our bodies are a temporary abode. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're just in these bodies just for a little while. And then we also learn from Scripture that our pilgrimage on earth is temporary. The Christian's real citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible says in Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. There will no longer be any crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he says, right, for these things are faithful and true. So how could the psalmist say thanks to the Lord for all his benefits? The psalmist resolved to offer worship to the Lord. 
The second thing the psalmist resolved to offer to the Lord for all his benefits was service. This section won't be as long as the first. We can serve the Lord. Look at verse 14. He says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of his people. And so when the cords of death encompassed the writer of Psalm 116, when the terrors of Sheol came upon him, he found distress and sorrow. Verse 4 says that he called on the name of Yahweh, saying, O Yahweh, I beseech you, save my life. And perhaps it's at this time, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our distress, that many who are in desperate need of the Lord's deliverance make vows to the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever made a vow to the Lord. And many make vows when they're in distress, as the right of Psalm 66. In verses 13 to 14 of Psalm 66, he says, I shall come into your house with burnt offerings, and I shall pay my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. When Sophia was in ICU, out of desperation, (laughs) I made some vows to the Lord. You know, those kind of things, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that, you know. Now, the Bible doesn't forbid making vows to the Lord. It just warns that when you do, you better keep them. You better keep them. And the Bible shows the consequences of making foolish vows like Jephthah did in Judges 11. Remember, he said the first person that comes out of the house, you know, I'll sacrifice. Remember that story? And, or rash vows like Saul, he forced on his soldiers. He, he said, I don't want anybody to eat anything until we have the victory. And, of course, his soldiers were falling out all over the place because they'd gotten so weak. Or wicked vows like the Jews made in Acts chapter 23. We're not going to eat anything until we kill that guy. You know, that kind of thing. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus warns of making flippant vows or attempting to make our own words, our words or our character believable by making an oath or by swearing to God. You know, we want people to really believe we're telling the truth, so we, we say, so help me, you know. So back in Psalm 116, the psalmist cries out to the Lord, and the Lord was gracious, verse 5, righteous, verse 5, compassionate, verse 5. The Lord saved him, verse 6, dealt bountifully with him, verse 7, rescued him, verse 8, allowed him to walk before the Lord in the land of the living, verse 9. And so he writes that the Lord heard his voice and heard his supplications. The Lord inclined his ear to him. Now he was on the receiving end of the Lord's benefits, and because the Lord answered his prayers, he resolved to pay his vows to the Lord. Notice in verse 14, Psalm 116, where he vows to uh, pay his vows. (laughs) He he pays his vows, he says, in the presence of all God's people. In Psalm 116, verse 18 through 19, he writes, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Twice the writer lets his readers know where he will demonstrate his gratitude. Verses 14 and 18, he says, Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Now, John Calvin writes, he once more repeats what he said about gratitude and that publicly for we must manifest our piety not only by our secret affection before God, but also by an open profession in the sight of men. So when we make a vow, we don't go into our secret place place and say, oh, okay, Lord, thank you for saving. Thank you for delivering me. You know, okay, I appreciate that and, and all of that. We just, you know, this secret, I love you, Lord. We're in, in our home or somewhere or driving. I love you, Lord. We're singing the hymns or the praise songs and all. No, Calvin is saying, no, we 
pay our vows with an open profession in the sight of people. So he pays his vows or he renders his service publicly, not to boast, but to show he's not ashamed of God's service. He renders his service publicly to encourage others to join him. And so perhaps it's here that we can say that worship and service are two sides of the same coin. Again, Calvin writes, the Holy Spirit, speaking of the true worship of God, very properly connects by an indissoluble bond these two parts of worship. Where God says, and this is from Psalm 50, verse 15, he said, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. And then it says, after thy deliverance, glorify me. So maybe I could make that clear. Reading from the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews he gives two important exhortations. You heard this, this verse. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then in verse 16 of chapter 13, it says, But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And we like, okay, yeah, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I worship you, Lord. I sing praise to your name. But the psalmist continues. He said, but don't forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so back in Psalm 116, the psalmist sees both worship and service as necessary offerings to God who has lavished him with benefits. And so when you and I come to realize in our hearts that we've been lavished with God's benefits, we too will ask the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? And so when it's all said and done, the only thing that we can render to God for all his benefits are, say it with me, worship and service. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so we see that serving God is an act of worship. It was the reformer, Martin Luther, who said, The most acceptable service we can do and show unto God, which and which alone he deserves of us, is that he be praised of us. So even Luther connects both worship and service. And it's interesting that we put these two words together without even thinking about it. We call our gathering today a worship service. Don't we? So let me close. In Psalm 116, the psalmist presses the rewind button of his life. He reminisces of those times in his life where, in spite of his suffering and despair, he sees the Lord working and providing, delivering, and blessing. And then he was moved to ask the question, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? He says, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. To you, I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. That's worship. And then he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. That's service. And so when it's all said and done, the only thing that we can render to God for all his benefits is worship and service. And, 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 and the context is how do you deal with suffering? How do you deal when something traumatic has happened to either yourself or a loved one? How does the Christian respond? And as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, the greatest and the most magnificent and gracious benefit God has bestowed upon us is our salvation from the penalty of sin. 
We're saved. We're cleansed from our sins. We're declared righteous. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We're united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. We're adopted into God's family as his children. We're reconciled to God. We're no longer under the wrath of God. We have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for us. Paul summarized our debt of worship and service this way. Turn to Ephesians 2, and I'll, I'll close with this reading. Ephesians chapter 2, and look at verse 4. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins he, or our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Then he says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? How can we say thanks to God in the good times and the difficult times? We can worship the Lord and serve him forever. And let me just leave a footnote. I've been in the ministry since 1983, preaching the word of God and pastoring a church, even a church planner, starting a, a, a church from just scratch. And I can tell you, I've seen Jesus even gives a parable about it when the wind comes and the storm comes and, and people who aren't rooted, who aren't secure on the rock, the rock being Christ, they get wiped away or they run away. So when tragedy or disaster, calamity comes to you, and there's not an if, it's a when. And when it comes, maybe not on the order of magnitude of what we're going through, but something will happen to test your faith. And I can tell you, when you run from the Lord and when you decide, oh, okay, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm not going to read the Bible, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to worship, that's how you and others will know whether or not you are truly a believer. Because a true Christian perseveres through trials and tribulations because you're built upon a rock. Your faith is built upon Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can even share these things, Lord, and consider these things, Lord. We're not, uh, as Christians, exempt from trials and tribulations, and we know from Scripture says um, in Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter, that we recall to suffering because Christ left us an example that we would walk in his steps. And certainly he suffered the most excruciating pain and suffering, spiritually taking upon himself sin and all of that, Lord. And he's our example of suffering. So I pray, Father, that we would um, just be able to use this text, Psalm 116, and even other passages of Scripture to help us to navigate the trials and tribulations through suffering hard times, that we might hold on to you, hold on to your word and your precious promises, that we would continue, Lord, to worship you and to serve you because you're worthy. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.